Welcome to the Manufacturing and Supply Chain CEO Podcast. I'm Martin Harshberger, President of Measurable Results, LLC, and martinharshberger.com. I'm a retired CEO of both a manufacturing company and a third-party logistics company. We were lucky enough to grow both to eight-figure organizations. I've been consulting with small and mid-tier companies for the past 16 years. Our mission with this podcast is to provide a forum to help CEOs in these critical industries share their stories, share best practices, and learn from each other. If you'd like to be a guest on our podcast, go to www.martinharsberger.com slash apply. Each interview will take about 30 minutes. Thanks for listening. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Manufacturing Supply Chain CEOs. And of course, I am your host, Rye Russell, and I'm so excited for this show because we get to meet individuals that, like yourselves, have dealt with the trials and tribulations of building out supply chains. And so our next guest is no exception to that. I am super grateful for the time that John has made for us today. John, thank you so much for joining our show. Oh, you're welcome. And it's an honor. And I am really feel privileged uh, to be here amongst your other guests. Well, thank you so much, John. I, I, I like to ask the individuals that we meet if like kind of where they started in their journey, because I feel like most of us did not wake up one day and said, I want to rebuild a supply chain. I want to deal with all of these processes. And that sounds fun to me. And so I'm interested how you got started and what led us to this space today, John? Well, when you, when you think about my career, um, most people and even family members would never have thought I would be where I am today. Um, I'm actually very dyslexic and I'm actually phonics death. Um, and so I got my uh, lucky break in IBM and uh, uh, didn't do too well initially in college and I had to go to work. And um, so IBM, uh, after paying me numerous uh, uh, suggestion awards said, hey, we got a program to develop industrial engineers. Um, and we'd like to put you in that program. And after three and a half years of working five hours a day and going to school for four hours a day, um, I graduated um, with a, a combined uh, equivalent degree from uh, uh, North Carolina State uh, Maynard Institute and IBM as an industrial engineer. And I, I was selected um, to my surprise to go to Japan for six months and had the honor of studying uh, in Toyota and meeting some really great people when you think about supply chain, Ono, uh, Shingo, actually got to study under Shingo for a while. So um, that was a real honor for me. And so I've been involved in supply chain from a continuous improvement standpoint really ever since then. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I think all of us have some experience, right? Whether it's a small business startup, there's a supply chain to build there. If you're a conglomerate, there's so many verticals and supply chains to build. Uh, to build. I'm wondering, what are some of the techniques that you have used to, one, kind of compartmentalize and make things attainable and achievable rather than these 
big, audacious ideas that seem so overwhelming? Well, really, you know, most people don't realize they make it too complex. And unfortunately, too many consultants make it too complex because they're really worried about the almighty dollar, probably. So when you think about it in this concept, though, you know, it starts with a customer and ends with a customer. And then you develop, you know, your product. So there's obviously some need out there for a product. You know, it could be a PC, for example. Like, I actually had the honor of meeting Michael Dell uh, early on in his career because I was working in IBM Austin. and He wasn't far from there. And we actually used to sell him used parts. Um, and he created his, his uh, enterprise. But when you think about it, very simplistically, you got the start, the customer, and, and the supply chain's not over until the customer gets his canceled check back. In that, you've got processes, right? From you design, you go out to purchasing, you get the parts, and the cycle goes all the way through manufacturing, then you deliver, and, and that's what a supply chain looks like. So instead of making it so complex, you know, what, what I do with customers is I get them to understand what is the cycle time of each one of those blocks. So where's your constraint? Is it really in manufacturing or is it back upstream from a supplier who can't deliver on time or can't bring you the type of quality you need, causes all sorts of waste within your process? It's trying to understand from a simplistic view first at a top level map. And then from that, you would take it and break it down. One of the unique things that I do differently to help people is if you look at value stream mapping, the concept of it, it it's very complex. It's a computer generated uh, document. I don't do that. So we start with just three basic colors, yellow for process owners and process flow, pink for non-value add and, and blue for value add. Why do you want to work on a process that's not your constraint and it's, it's, you know, it's still got opportunity for improvement, right? but you want to look for the one that's got the most pink tags because right. more than likely that's going to be the longest cycle time. And, and people in the industry today have lost focus on cycle time. Cycle time is very powerful. So you wake up in the morning, Russell, and, and you got your routine. You either turn off the alarm or you go get coffee. Then you get dressed for work. Um, you might drive to work. You're at work for eight hours a day. You do your thing there and you come home. Well, what if you could, you know, hypothetically uh, take a helicopter to work? You would save some time and you'd end up with more personal time for yourself or if it's your own business, more time for your own business. People have lost focus on the power of cycle time. It's just whip divided by exits. So it could be a stack of paperwork, right? It could be a stack of inventory. It could be all the way back to the supply chain that way. It is a powerful metric. So what you're saying is sometimes we tend to get in our own way. Absolutely. <laughs> That's amazing. And I know we'll talk about some ways that you help companies kind of sort that out and get through those processes. I'm so fascinated. Do you mind sharing a story with us about like one of those kind of supply chain value chain build outs that just seemed impossible? and how you overcame that. Sure, I mean, uh, I'll start with my roots. I, I, it's still considered the greatest project in the history of IBM and continuous improvement. Amazing. So Austin, Texas was building the motherboard for the PS2. 
Um, I was new to the site. I came from Tucson um, on my journey with IBM and uh, just got done with my, my tour in, in Japan and did some unique things back in Tucson. But the PS2 was in big trouble. Now, of course, I'm dating myself a little bit here. So, you know, that was one of the first really powerful computers. And Boca Raton, we were in the supply chain. We furnished the motherboard to Boca Raton. Boca was a million boxes behind schedule for announcement day. And it was all due to the supply chain within IBM. And in that supply chain, it wasn't the supply of parts. It was the internal supply chain, which was jamming up everything. So if you can imagine a conveyor that's about 100 yards long with all sorts of slots to put uh, 24 boards in in a, in a container and then move it along. So God forbid that we want operators to move back then, right? You know, you were taught, keep them at their station, keep them busy, et cetera. Well, in the supply chain of that scenario, the mechanism for delivering parts to your station was causing defects. So if you got boards that are getting chips put on top, right? And they're still got the wet solder because they haven't got to the solder station yet. And they go up in this uh, monster, we used to call it. And it would shift the parts around and you get tombstoning and you get all sorts of defects caused from the movement of parts. Well, that was the start of it. So John didn't do this, by the way. I just came back and led the effort. And what we did differently there in the supply chain, the service Boca better, is we immediately offloaded some of our work. It was another board facility back in Tucson, Arizona. And that helped... <clears throat> alleviate some of the overdue uh, parts, but it was the 1,600 employees that learned the basics of lean, uh, and they really are the ones that deserve the credit um, for what was achieved uh, at, that, at that site. They figured out how to reduce defects. I mean, my biggest thing contributing to it is I developed a Kanban pull system, a tool in which we actually took everything out put it on a cart with 12 boards and moved it to the process. The team in nine months took it from 45 days cycle time to four and a half hours. Wow. Still considered to be the, the greatest project I've ever worked on. And I can see why that is incredible question from that story I have for you. John. So I think of, in, in leadership, right? In the administration side of businesses, there's sometimes fads in, in those styles, right? Open offices, not open offices, closed door, open door. In manufacturing and supply chain, I feel like that happens in that department as well. Because when you were kind of painting that picture for me, the concept of, I, I totally get the concept of the operator stay in place and everything comes there. But then you also see some productive lines where operators do move from one side of a, of a machine to another or what have you. And I'm curious, it, are there different fads in manufacturing and supply chain that you've seen over the years? Uh, and how has that kind of impacted process? Uh, it, it has changed incredibly. You know, Frederick Taylor really developed industrial engineers and the concepts that Henry Ford took on. And then, you know, obviously Toyota really took it to a whole nother level. But one of the issues is, you know, within that scenario I gave you, one of the things we changed is an operator could do uh, two stations up and two stations back. 
So they were flexible in the line. In today's world, I will tell you that I go into a lot of companies that um, overstress operators. You know, they might have them doing um, three pieces of equipment all at once in some type of U-shaped cell, and they think that's productive. In some cases, it is if it's highly automated. If it's not, it's, it's a detriment to the, to the organization. It's creating more waste because you usually you can't catch all the defects, right? Um, and it's tough to poke you up that type of process. So when you think about it, um, but the world has changed quite a bit. And by the way, Toyota didn't get there overnight. Everybody admires Toyota. They want to go visit Toyota. And then they say, oh, I can just go back to my facility and do that, right? And it doesn't work that way because every company has a unique DNA. So right. the same way you just talked about offices, right? You know, open office, that's what it should be. Can you imagine a coach on a football team that is calling the place from his office instead of out there in the field with the team? Right. That would never happen. So, yeah, the closer management leadership can get involved in the action. Ono used to walk the floor. And he wouldn't tell you how to fix the process, but he would challenge you to say, when I come back through next week, I hope you've got a solution for this. Otherwise, putting it into your hands and empowering you. It took a long time for the middle management down below him to grasp that because as soon as he was gone, they were back to when I was there, you know, hey, you do it my way, you know, stay focused unless there's totally. something, something that you got to pull the, 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 rail car train stop right because you got a defect that was the only time they could stop the line toyota's taken to a whole different level another company by the way who's really really good at what you're talking about the the culture aspect the managerial aspect within supply chain is honda honda came out of a um industry uh different than where toyota developed their their, their selves um, so they were more aligned with, they weren't so concerned about the processes. They were more aligned with, you know, how the culture operated first. They have a, now, obviously they, both of those companies, I look at as the one and two world leaders in continuous improvement. They're just there. It, it, so when you talk about a supply chain, you know, you could also talk about, I did a lot of work in, in GE and I a lot of respect for GE. Um, but a lot of times they strap the supply chain and a lot of companies are doing this today and look where we're at. I mean, look at what just happened in the Panama Canal. I mean, we could not get, you know, you know 10 days of inventory, billions of, of products through the process. We're going to run out of toilet paper again, they're saying, um, because within the supply chain, because, uh, you know, somebody fell asleep at the wheel at that boat. It's almost impossible for that to happen without somebody doing something wrong. So supply chains, you have to be involved as management. You have to be there. You need to be checking on, you know, who's got the steering wheel in their hands, right? You know, to the scenario that you're back in there. So you're saying, John, that Toyota didn't go one day from a, a concept and the next day a powerhouse of supply chain management? No, if you get my new book, I actually tell about Toyota's journey. And when you think about, it, I have a graph in there, and you think about this, okay? So Toyota started this journey, and along comes the academia world, right? So, you know, Deming was great over there. Um, uh, 
Norman Bodak, we consider him the godfather of Lane who recently just passed away. He wrote the foreword to my book. Um, these guys played a key role of capturing what was going on in Toyotas, particularly Norman. So when you think about the concepts, we went from just in time to lean or quality circles, TQM, Agile, Six Sigma, Lean Six Sigma, um, you know, uh, AI, et cetera, whatever it might be, I've got them all in this wheel. It's come full circle. We need to just get back to the basics of just in time, if you want to put it in that concept, or Lean, right? And Lean's not just for manufacturing. You can apply it to all the business processes. All the tools are applicable if you keep the tools simplistic. So when you think about supply chain, you got to think about what you're trying to accomplish uh, in it and make sure everybody is involved. It can't be somebody just, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm, I got the same certifications, okay? Um, but people too many times go out and hire a master black belt or, or they put together an organization, of, of a lean organization, green belts and, and black belts and master black belts and call everybody else yellow and white belts. Um, uh, I'll give you a quote. I, I met uh, Jack Walsh after he retired. And um, a, a question was asked of him, what would he do differently? Okay, I didn't ask, ask the question, but at the quotes in my book. So uh, what he said was, he said he would have started an internal program. He wouldn't have called it lean. He wouldn't have called it uh, Six Sigma um, because every time they had a layoff, he said they lost their best people. And forgive me for using the word, but he said, I was left with my shitheads. Mm -hmm. um, that's his quote. Okay. Uh, and it's true. So because of certifications and the way the academia world works, but let me step back one second for you. When I got certified by um, IBM and Toyota, I had to do a hundred projects today. You can go out there at Russell and you can go online. Now we don't know whether you did the project or not, and you can get a certification as a black belt. You can go out there and you can get a certification as a master black belt. The, the academia world, you know, have a lot of respect for them. But in this case, they've done the industry a lot of harm. Definitely understand that. And a question I had. So when you're looking at the supply chain and the systems of Toyota and Honda, you, you said something that really just kind of hit home for me is that you can see these things and you can be taught these theories, but it doesn't necessarily equate to replication. And so I'm curious what you see is a challenge or a struggle for a team or an organization that's like, okay, we've got the master black belt. We saw how it's done. Why, what is the most common breakdown that deters replication? Um, it really starts at the top. So, um, you know, I have no problem with companies that want to do just some projects, okay, and get some relief um, of a bottleneck. But if I'm truly doing, helping a company with a transformation, I need to be working with the CEO. We need to understand the strategy, the vision, and the mission that they're trying to accomplish. But uh, I did a study in 2013 and had over 10,000 responses, okay, of leadership. And the number one reason for failure is communication. All right. The number two reason is false starts program of the month. And, and, and that really could be two ways. That could be because uh, a new CEO comes in or a new leader comes in and, and they prefer 
uh, agile over maybe lean or six sigma as an example. Um, uh, and so what happens is there's a breakdown of communication there. All right. And they start over and, and, and within the organization, CEOs are tired of footing the bill um, to, to not see a return on investment. That's why my last book is called rapid ROI. And, and you can achieve ROIs even at the lowest level all the time. So, um, and, and then it's organizational readiness and then organizational alignment. So if I asked you, Russell, real quick to put your wallet out on the, on the table, yep. the number one breakdown in an organization is you're not being rewarded and aligned to what you're asking the organization to do. You still got your standard metrics um, of where you're trying to deliver on time. Uh, and in fact, people, my opinion, have this messed up. So it should be all about people first. Number one, are my people safe? I call it the three Ps, people first, all right? Then educating them. Then it's performance. And I should deliver on time to the date I promised the customer. Not, not the changing the date because I missed or I have quality problems or I have issues with my organization. I should be measured to what the customer due date was. Then I should look at my quality. Am I building it to the right quality to satisfy the customer? Not over quality, not under quality. The right quality of customer required. And finally, my cost aligned. And the last P is about process improvement. And, and believe it or not, when I work with companies, we apply this cycle time measure to all of those. You know, what's the cycle rate of accidents we have in the facility? How are we doing with on-time delivery? Well, a lot of times you got too much whip in the supply chain, right? You can't deliver on time because it all gets messed up inside the facility, getting you know prioritized. Um, and then your quality, you end up with defects. And then your cost is out of line because now you got to work overtime, right? To make up for it. Yeah. And then you don't have any time for process improvements. So if people would focus on the three Ps, people, performance, and process improvement, they would get so much more done in fixing these issues. Here's a, a, two sayings I have. You're a simple reflection of your leadership. And the last one is seconds equal minutes, minutes equal hours, hours equal days, days equal weeks. There's nothing wrong with allowing a team with a visual management center of their or, part of the organization to eliminate seconds. That's great. Celebrate it. That's a return on investment, right? Because right. now it's, that department's running at a better cost. So um, people are making this way too complex, all right? It needs to be very simple and it needs to be very visual. I love that. That is something that I am saying to the teams all of the time that we're overcomplicating, we're overcomplicating. And so I know I'm really excited to read your book, John. So I know there are people in our audience today that want that as well. What is the best way for us to stay connected to you and to purchase and find that book? Well, uh, if you don't mind, I can show a picture of the book. So well, I, I would it. love that. Well, this is the book. Rapid uh, ROI. Flash out of there. Rapid ROI. And by the way, it's got a summary on the front. I have an honor. My title is Lean Summary is Honorary. Okay. That came from Toyota. Um, in the book, it's about mobilizing a sustainable journey. So you can go to Amazon and you can purchase the book. 
Um, you can go to my website and get a link to the book uh, at leanyourway.com. Um, and you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and I always like to try to give something away when, when I do these. So for your audience, if somebody contacts me, you know, I'm not, we're not, as a company, we're not looking for, um, you know, the big project. We would like to prove ourselves to you. You know, to be honest with you, I'm not well known in the industry. Um, and um, I don't have a doctorate behind my name or any of that. I've just been going along about my business. I've done over 2,000 Kaizans. I've done 100 uh, transformations of, of companies. Uh, and I've started a new concept that I think your audience would love to learn about. It'll be in my next book. It's called Super Kaizans. Happens over an eight-week period. Um, and so you can go to my LinkedIn. Uh, I post almost every week. Um, and I'm very excited about the opportunity um, to, to help anybody within your supply chain. If they contact me and they refer that they, they watched your show, Russell, um, I will make sure they get a 25% reduction on their discovery assessment. Amazing. Um, if they want to move forward, I'll give them another 25% of what they spent to discover what we could do together. Incredible. Well, thank you so much for that. I know I'm going to head over to your website right now and purchase a copy of that book. And of course, we have a link to that book in our show notes. So everybody can check that out and then also head to leanyourway.com and connect further. And I will absolutely be connecting with John on LinkedIn. I think you all should as well. John, thank you so much for the time today. Thank you, Russell. It's been great being with you. And of course, we're so grateful to all of you for tuning in. And I cannot wait to see you on the next episode of Manufacturing and Supply Chain CEOs. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing and Supply Chain CEOs. If you're a successful CEO in manufacturing or supply chain and would like to be part of the program, please visit www.martinharsberger.com slash apply. If you got some value out of the interview, please share it on social media. We'd really appreciate it. Also, if you know someone that would make a great guest, tag them and let them know about the show. Again, our mission is to focus on manufacturing and supply chain CEOs. We'd like to share your story and provide industry trends and updates that would interest our listeners. We're regularly putting out new episodes and content. Make sure you don't miss an episode. Go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up ratings and interviews go a long way in promoting the show. You can connect with me on social media. I'm on LinkedIn at uh, Martin Harshberger or through my website, www.martinharshberger.com. Again, we appreciate it. Thanks for listening.